Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. My name is Joe, like I said, and I'm really excited about this series. And um, I can tell you this, this is honestly one of my favorite subjects out of everything that I get to speak on. I've been talking about it uh, for 12 years. This is my 12th year of ministry, which I cannot believe. And um, I started when I was 15 years old. Just kidding. But um, just it, it's amazing when I start to think about what God has done, but what he's about to do in and through our lives as, as the church, capital C, but also as Believer's Church. And more specifically today, we're going to talk about BC Boardman. And so I thought it would be helpful if I just told you a little bit of my story on the front end, because I'm getting to know a lot of you. And thank you for your patience with me as I learn your names and and uh, I got the easy one. You get to remember Joe, right? But sometimes you'll throw a, a curveball my way. But man, it's incredible to get to know you. So, so let me just tell you a little bit about me. Um, it, it always amazes me when I, when I look at pastor's kids because the odds are kind of stacked against you when you grow up in a pastor's home. For those of you that don't know, my parents, Joe and Gina, uh, they're the lead pastors of Believer's Church. They came here in 1983 back to my dad's hometown of Warren, Ohio, in Planted Believers Church. And so in 1986, I was born, and I've been a member of this church my entire life, never known anything different. And what I can tell you is, from experience, from talking to pastor's kids all over the country, there's kind of a common thread and a common denominator with most pastor's kids, and it's that they're kind of jaded. And they've, they've been, you know, we, we say it, they live in, in a fishbowl, so to speak, and it's kind of like everybody can see into your life and has an opinion. And, and here's what I've noticed. Many of them don't want anything to do with God, don't want anything to do with church. They, they've seen their parents stand on a stage and profess this certain type of Christianity, but when they get off of the stage, they don't see evidence of that in their life. Or maybe it's because of wounds that they carry from the past and trauma that they went through. All, you, you know, there's stuff that happens in church. When you get a, enough imperfect people together, it's just a matter of time. But what I can tell you is the thing I'm so thankful for is that I had parents uh, that modeled what it looked like to be a mature follower of Jesus behind the scenes just as much as they preached it on the stage. And for that, I'm so thankful. And, and so it's funny how God leads people into your life that are going to help you on your journey. And I know my parents prayed for years, God, send the right person for Joe because he, he's going to be a project. He's going to need somebody that can handle him. And um, when, I was, when I was about 15 years old, I met my beautiful wife, Erin, at church camp. So, so be careful when you send your kids to camp because you never know. They might come back with a spouse. And um, we waited a few years before we got married. But we dated and uh, ended up doing a long-distance relationship. She's originally from Columbus. And if you didn't know, my wife was the beautiful blonde up there playing the keys and leading worship. And... Um, and so I ended up starting to date her. She, she felt God leading her to, to go down to Tulsa, Oklahoma, to go to the same Bible college, actually, that her parents went to, my parents, Pastor Graham and Lori. And um, then I proposed to her in between year one and year two. And the rest is history. We just celebrated 10 years of marriage on December 28th. I think she deserves a round of applause for putting up with me for 10 years. And... Um, I'm excited about the next 10 years, and, and she grew up in an amazing pastor's home as well, and what drew me to her is her passion for Jesus and the fact that I didn't feel like I would have to just be the one leading, but at times, she leads me and challenges me, and so I'm excited about this message because as somebody that's grown up in the church, that's been in ministry for 12 years, but spent my entire life in the local church, I, there's nothing in this world I believe in more, and as a matter of fact, Jesus 
said this famous statement in Matthew chapter 16. He said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell can stop it. And so we believe that, that BC and any local expression of a church isn't meant to be this kind of religious institution where we check off you know, every box and make sure that our good deeds outweigh our bad or that we have good church attendance. Those are all great things, but at the center and the source of why we do what we do, it can't just be that. That's not sustainable. It's gotta be driven by this love for Jesus and the fact that he changes our life and works from the inside out. And then we go and we take that change to hurting and hopeless people and the cycle continues. And so Pastor Graham has been doing an incredible job in this series called The Table. And I wanna just kind of give a quick review. If you missed the series, uh, that way you know where we're at and you have some context. But we talked about this theme of The Table and how it's found all throughout scripture. And so you'll see this, this terminology that we're invited to the table of the Lord. And I love the table of the Lord because it really represents the church. It's this place where everybody's on a level playing field, and it doesn't really matter where we're coming from. It's where we're all headed to. And everybody has a seat at the table, and it's a place where we get spiritually fed, and we grow in community together. This is, this is God's design. And so I loved what Pastor Graham said last week. He, he talked about the different chairs that are around the table. And he said, at the head of the table, there's the guy that's serving up the meal. I liked what he called it. He called him the dude with the food. And so this weekend, it's me. Some weekends, it's Pastor Graham. Some, it's Pastor Joe streaming in. But no matter how you slice it, this is, this is the chair where the person is tasked with rightly dividing the word of God, making sure we have an understanding of what God's word says so that we can be challenged and we can grow. So the question becomes like, hey, what's on the menu? Like, if, if this is the dude with the food, what's he serving? And I, I love what Jesus said about himself. This is John 6, 35. He says, I am the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never hunger again, and whoever believes in me will never thirst again. And this is a pretty powerful statement. Here, Don't miss this. Because in a world that promises us that we can find contentment and fulfillment in all kinds of different places and different ways, Jesus says, uh-uh, I'm the only thing that can truly satisfy you and truly sustain you. It's me. And that's why he tells us to pray prayers like, give us this day our daily bread. Because it was always God's design and intention for us to have a daily, living, vibrant encounter with God in his presence through Jesus. That's the design. So, so that's what's on the menu. And, and so then he, he went on to the next chair. And we talked last week about chair one. Pastor Graham made this pretty bold statement, and I love that he said it, because this is what we've always been about at Believer's Church. We are a chair one church. Now, chair one is for people that don't yet belong at the table. They're invited to the table. They're guests, and if you're a guest with us today, man, welcome. We're so excited that you're here with us, and if you're still trying to work out this whole thing with God and trying to figure it out, and maybe you even have some doubts, let me just tell you something. God is big enough to deal with your doubts, and we want to help guide you through that. And we actually invite questions because we feel like when we ask the right questions, we start to realize that Jesus is the answer. And so we're excited that you're here. And I just want you to think about this. The church is the only institution that exists for people that aren't yet a part of the institution. Like how crazy is it if you start a club and the club exists for everybody that's not in the club? But this is, this is literally what Jesus said. And it's why he had these stories, these parables, where he said, hey, there was a shepherd, and the shepherd left the 99 found sheep to go find this one sheep that was lost. 
This is why Believer's Church exists. We are a chair one church, and we will go to any length in any measure to make sure people who are hurting and broken experience the hope that can only be found in Jesus, the bread of life. So this is chair one, and here's the goal. We want, we want you to graduate from chair one to chair two. Now, chair two is a baby believer, brand new to God. And I love hanging out with babies. I don't know about you. They're just fun. We'll say this isn't just a high chair. This isn't just a chair. It's a high chair. There's carrots and peas and applesauce all over the place in this chair. They're making a mess. They're pooping in their pants. I mean, just like, you know, they're a baby spiritually. You have to have places at churches built in for spiritual babies. A lot of times, the biggest struggle that people have with church is that they are answering questions that nobody is asking. And I love that we belong to a church where we can ask real questions and people can actually have something that they apply to their real life when they walk out of the door today. And so we always want to help people in this chair, but here's the ultimate goal. If we're, if we're being honest, here's an agenda. We really do have one. We want to take you from a baby believer to a mature spiritual adult. And that's what chair three is all about. Chair three is maturity. And so one of the ways that we say it at BC is we want to take you from a fan to a friend to a follower. This is really what Jesus did because Jesus would pull people from the crowd that didn't even fully understand who he was or what he was preaching, but there was just something in, in him that drew them to him. And then they would go get their friends and they'd say, hey, come and see this guy that told me everything I've ever done. You need to meet him too. And there would be something inside of them that says, hey, I'm gonna go listen. They were a fan of Jesus. They were a fan of his miracles and the way that he changed people's lives. He was an ama there was never a more brilliant communicator than Jesus. I think sometimes we miss that, but Jesus could captivate an audience of thousands, and they would sit there for 12 hours in a day, starving, just to hear the next word that he spoke, because he was captivating. I think this is what church ought to feel like, and I love it that BC has raving fans, and, and listen, that's our goal. We want to create an experience that makes people feel like, that was a breath of fresh air. I wish that would have went a little bit longer. That's kind of our goal on a weekend experience. And I think that's the feedback I get a lot of times from people. It's like, man, can we, can we do that again? But listen, it will never sustain you just to be a fan. Eventually, you gotta get to a place where you become a friend and you have a relational connection with God and with other people. Because a service that sounds good and looks good and has the right environment, it only gets you so far. At a certain point, we wanna get from chair one to chair three. And so here's the question we're asking and answering today. How do I change chairs in God's church? Like, what does that look like in my life? And I wanna give you some handles on how that would work. And, um, and so let's, let's jump right in. I, I would say if I'm kind of like summing all of this up, it all boils down to one word, and it's maturity. The way we get to chair three is a journey called maturity. So I wanna give you just three things that maturity means. Three things that maturity means. And I would, I would highly encourage you, if, if you're not in the habit of doing this, this is something I've been trying to do a lot better myself. You're never gonna retain all of this if you just listen one time. But if you write, write it down, I don't know, uh, get a pen and write it on your hand, put it in your notes on your phone. Some people like to just take a picture of the slide, download the Believer's Church app for weeks when Pastor Joe is streaming in, but, but get this inside of you and go over it again and again this week, and I think it can really change your life. Here's the first thing that maturity means. Maturity means I stay at the table. Maturity means I stay at the table. You know, uh, Aaron and I are parents, and we have... Uh, two kids, Joey is eight and Riley is six. 
And I, I, I will never forget, all of you guys can relate to this that have kids, I will never forget the moment where I became responsible for another human being, a living soul. Do you remember this when they hand you this six pound, seven pound little baby and they're like, here you go, just take it from here, you know? And the first couple of weeks, or first couple of days, I should say, at the hospital, y'all remember like if you get tired, you just like press the button and a nurse comes and they just carry your baby for you and they rock him to sleep. And like, cause you need it, cause you're, you're so tired from labor and all that stuff and delivering. But then there's the moment where they like get the wheelchair, they wheel you out to the street and they give you a little packet and they say, all right, it's all you, you know? And I'll never forget the moment when I had Joey and we put him into the car seat, which if you've never, if, if you're not a cusser, just get a car seat and it'll, it'll really tempt you to, to say every word in the book. And it tests my spirituality. And, and I'm trying to click it in and find it. Finally, I get him in there. And then there's construction on East Market Road in Warren, right outside of Trumbull Memorial. And I never forget, like, I was going like 0.2 miles per hour down this road because I was terrified of breaking my baby. Anybody ever been there? This, I mean, parenthood, right? Now, sometimes I feel like my parenthood is on point, like I got this down. Uh, but, but I'm quickly humbled by this time in our house called dinner. And um, any parent who has had kids knows what I mean. Like, you can tell them a million times, we are going to sit down and eat dinner because we want to see each other face to face. I want to hear how your day went. I want to talk about school and your friends and your life. And, and like, we would always start out with a prayer in our house. And so Joey, when he was really little, he would imitate us. And so I don't know why, but I've always started my prayers with Father God. I just, probably because my dad did it that way. And so Joey couldn't say Father God when he was a kid, so he would look so sincere and close his eyes and really tight, and he would say, Dear Farter God, and we would try so hard not to laugh. We'd have amazing moments, but about like 30 seconds into the meal, all of a sudden, Riley's over against the wall doing a handstand, and Joey's orchestrating an imaginary choir with his chicken drumstick, you know, I mean, just anything except eating. So if your house is anything like ours, we have this rule. And we say, you cannot get up from the table until you finish your food. Anybody do this? Stay at the table. And we're pretty disciplined about it. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, because the table is the primary place that we connect with our kids. And I want to get to know them. But also, they need nutrition. And I don't know what it is, but you'll, they'll tell you they are full. But an hour later, they are Mahatma Gandhi when it's time for bed, right? Like, they have been, they have been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I mean, like, this is, this is how kids are. And so, so we have this rule for this reason, so they can be healthy. I just started to think about the church, and over the years, I've watched this happen again and again. I think we have well-meaning Christians, people that really want to be in chair three and be a mature follower of Christ, but whenever things get kind of difficult, or whenever there's a distraction or something that would pull us away from the table, we start to just kind of inch away, and we start to eat on the run. And we're missing out on the benefits of what's built into the table. You know, there was actually this book written by a woman named Alice Julier, and it's called Eating Together. And I thought it was fascinating because when I started listening to this study, they took a look at hundreds and thousands of people that ate together consistently at a table, had meals around a table. And they compared them to people that didn't. And so that's the criteria. You know what they discovered? They, they discovered quite a few things that I think are pretty fascinating. One, they said the table is an equalizer. Here's what I mean by that. There are people that are coming in, in these settings from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different political backgrounds. They have different beliefs entirely. 
might even have different opinions on how the meal should be cooked and all that stuff. But there's something about when they all pull up a seat and they break bread together, they start to see each other as the same. And the things that used to divide them no longer divide them. As I was reading that, I thought, man, that's a beautiful picture of what the church of Jesus Christ is because we're a part of the church that says red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And it's not about the things that are different that divide us. It's about the things that we can agree on that bring us together because I bet we can agree on one thing. We're all messed up and we all need a savior and his name is Jesus. This, This is what brings us to the church. And what I've noticed is that whether because of bad experiences, you know, sometimes I, I watch people that come to BC and they come up to me and they talk to me like I am God, like there is no wrong you can do and, and everything about the church is perfect and I always just look at them with compassion. I just say, just give it some time. You know, like I'll give you a reason to, to not think we're so great before you know it. I mean, it's just not a matter of if, it's when because we're full of imperfect people and if a church has a core value like no perfect people allowed, You better believe there will be moments where your expectations are up here and your experience is down here and the gap in between leaves you feeling disappointed. And if we don't know what to do with that, we're gonna walk through life and and we might not even realize it, but slowly and surely we might kind of inch away from the table. We might kind of decide, I'll just eat on the run. I'll just kind of like listen to a podcast. I'll watch something on TV. I'll, I'll worship on my way to work, but I don't need to be at the table. And we start to miss out on God's design and plan for the table. And and here's what I've noticed happens in our life. When we're committed to doing life together, and this is one of our core values, we're better together, then there's a cool process that starts to happen. Number one, we start to get honest. You know what happens when you get honest? You get healthy. This is a part of the early church. This is what they were saying to the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 4.15. They said, speaking the truth in love, that's a big part of it, we will, here's that word, grow, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Can I tell you the reason that most of us never grow from chair one to chair three? We don't have enough honesty built in our life to help us get there. And can I just tell you something that God's done in my life over the years? I don't know about you, but there are some blind spots in my spiritual life that I don't even know their problems because I can't see them. The only way somebody can help me to grow is by being honest with me. And it's why the Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. Not faithful are the pats on the back. Faithful are the likes on your Facebook page no matter what you say, even if it's ridiculous, right? Faithful are the wounds. But an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy tells you what they think you wanna hear and you never grow. And so if we can have this, this place where honesty can happen and transparency. Can I tell you something? There are people that I've given permission in my life to tell me I'm getting off course. My wife is definitely one of them. And she takes me up on it quite often. Sometimes it's my dad. I have friends. I I certainly want to build people into my life that don't look like me and don't think like me and are further ahead in the journey than me. And, And I'm so thankful for people like that because there are things that I'm doing that I don't even know. And and just the right questions could help challenge me. Joe, when's the last time you read your Bible? Joe, when's the last time you got alone with God? Joe, I know you read your Bible this week to prepare a message. Did you read your Bible to connect with God this week? Even if it was five minutes today, did you spend some time with Jesus today? You know what that, you know, even just my dad, permission, hey, you're not talking to your wife the right way. 
that's not a loving way to talk to you. That you're, you're being too harsh with your kids. All the things that all of us just deal with, they're, they're the little things that sometimes can go unnoticed. When we get honest, we get healthy. And I'll just put it this way. If you want to be stable, stay at the table. You look at people in Christianity that have instability, and one day they're on fire for God, and they're so in love with him, and the next day they're like, man, I don't think I can do this anymore. I'm about to give up. The thing they are lacking is consistent stability at a place called the table. And, and you know what? I think it comes down to, to this idea that sometimes for us, we, we have to be committed to get a home-cooked meal somewhere. You know, one of the things that Alice Julier discovered in this book, Eating Together, is that when people were committed to eating at the table, they were way healthier in their diet. Because you know how it goes, like when we, when we kind of just eat on the go and we don't really have intentionality, we're going to be at McDonald's and Burger King and Taco Bell and Chipotle and fill in the blank. But there was something about the intentionality of saying every day or at least quite a few times a week, I'm going to pull up to the table with my family. And it really doesn't even matter what they said to me. Y'all remember like the day that you got in a fight with your brother and you punched him in the face? Did you still eat dinner together that night? Absolutely, because you're a family, right? That doesn't change. And so here, here's what I want to challenge you with, this idea do you have a place, and it doesn't have to be Believer's Church, but do you have a place where you're pulling up to the table consistently? Because Hebrews 10.24 says, don't forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing, but spur one another on to love and good deeds. Be committed to this. And then it says, do it all the more as my return approaches. So I think we can all agree that we are closer to God's return, not further than they were 2,000 years ago. So we're supposed to be doing this more. And so, listen, BC has not cornered the market on Christianity. There are 12 or 15 or 20 amazing churches in the area. If this is not your fit, that's awesome. Come to us, and we'll recommend other churches. But we got to find somewhere where we can pull up a seat. You know, like one of the things that my son does sometimes, or my daughter, they'll say, hey, Dad, can I have more? And I'm an Italian. I do more really well. You're never going to not get more from me at the dinner table. But you know what I do sometimes? I know what they ate earlier in the day. I know what they ate at lunch. I know what they drank all day. I know their diet. And so when they say I want more, sometimes my wife or I are gonna go back to the food and we're gonna put the more that we know that they need, not the more that they, they think that they want, right? And so sometimes this is the habit we can get into in church life. It's like, hey, we tend to just listen to the things that we want instead of the things that we need. And it's amazing to have a pastor who knows your spiritual diet. Let me put it this way. Not every Sunday can be an ice cream Sunday. You with me? We got to have some peas and some, and some carrots and some protein built into our diet. Sometimes it's not just the stuff we want that's going to make us grow. It's the stuff that they know that we need. So if you want to be stable, you got to stay at the table. All right, here's the second one. You ready? Maturity means I bring something to the table. Maturity means I bring something to the table. Here's probably what all of us can remember. For, for as long as I can remember, I would have these events, these holiday events, where I would come to the table, and I didn't think about the meal one bit. And thank God, because I had no clue how to make it. And my mom and all of my aunts and uncles and grandparents, they're amazing cooks. We're an Italian family. So food is a big part of what we do. They think all of us can remember this moment where it was no longer just coming to the table and being served, but all of a sudden, mom said, hey, I need you to bring something to the table this, this holiday season. 
And I remember this moment when I had like $6.75 in my checking account, and there really wasn't anything I could do, but I was like, okay, I can bring something. I could bring some cranberry ginger ale and some cookies, right? And there was just this moment where it shifted from I'm taking something from the table to I am bringing something to the table. Now, this is the beauty of the holidays because I bet at your house it's the same way. I love Thanksgiving and Christmas because everybody has their specialty. And everybody can do so much more together than they can do apart. And so I have this one aunt that she has amazing scallop cheesy potatoes. They're so good. And then there's mashed potatoes. And we, we are Italian, so we incorporate Italian food into every type of holiday and feasting opportunity. And so at Thanksgiving, we have eggplant parmesan and calamari and cavatelli. And the turkey is the side dish, just saying. Anyway, something to consider. But it's amazing because everybody brings their best. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Be generous with the different things God gave you. Listen to this, passing them around so I'll get in on it. Does that sound like a table to you? Hey, pass the peas, pass the mashed potatoes, pass the stuffing, pass the turkey. It's so everybody gets in on it. If words, let it be God's words. If it's help, let it be God's hearty help. That way God's bright presence will be evident in everything through Jesus and he'll get all the credit. And listen, I just want you to know this. If you've kind of grown up with this idea that that church and Christianity is all about you sitting in a seat and being entertained by some great speaker or some great worship leader, you're missing out on the miracle. It's why Ephesians 4.12, it says, no, 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 the church is really the church when the body ministers to the body. And it's not just Pastor Joe and Pastor Graham and my job just to impress you and wow you with my biblical knowledge. It's actually our goal to equip you to do the work of the ministry. That's when the church starts gaining momentum. That's when people start really being changed because it's not just addition at that point, it's multiplication. It multiplies our efforts. Did you know that there are people that you can reach that I will never be able to reach? There are people that speak the language of Corey and Corey that will never speak my language. There are people that speak the language of Janie Morris that will never speak my language. On and on, Jason, same thing. Every one of us has something unique that God has called us to do, and I can't do what the very colleagues can do. I can do what the Caminettis can do. And so all of us coming together, there's just something about it. It begins to build something incredible. So here's, here's the question I want you to ask this morning at Believer's Church. I would dare you and defy you to write this down and let it bug you all week. What is the thing that God uniquely created me to bring to the table? Because I'm convinced that there are ideas, business ideas, innovative things that God's God inside of you, and you just have to start asking the right questions and it'll come out. There are new ways to do church in this room, and someday there are people here that will reach thousands of people through this new method, and more people will come to Jesus than ever, and we just have to start asking the right questions. There's some people that you, you work construction or you do something in that, in that arena, and there's just something, there's an idea waiting to happen, and, and God wants you to bring Jesus to those people in those different places, because I can't. I can't even hold a hammer. I would, I would hurt somebody, right? But like some of you, that's your gift. And so just beginning to think that way. Now, here's the challenge. It is always easier to sit than it is to serve. It just is. And it's funny, like when you start thinking about family dynamics, does everybody here like remember? Remember back to when you were growing up. Did you have a seat at the table? Like it was my spot, you know? Now, we always get bumped down to the end of the table. Like, for me, it was the card table on the holidays because we had a squillion people in my family, and my, my chair went to someone else. But all of us usually have a seat at the table. Now, here's what happens. The longer we've been in any church environment, we can start to hold on 
to the seat and make it really a dear place to us, and we can actually miss out on what God's wanting us to do. Like the disciples did this. <laughs> you, you remember, the disciples would come to Jesus, and they would say, hey, Jesus, when we get to heaven someday, can I sit at your right hand? Can he sit at your left? Can I have the greatest place of honor? And Jesus, remember, he's the God of all the universe, and he could have done this a different way. He could have had angels escort him out of heaven, carrying him, fanning him, and feeding him grapes, but it's not how he chose to come. Listen to what he says, Luke 22, 27. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? Then he answers his own question. He says, you'd rather eat than be served, right? I love that Jesus gets our human nature. He empathizes with us. Then he says, but I've taken my place among you as the one who serves. In other words, he didn't choose to identify as the king of the universe. He chose to identify and find who he was in his servanthood and what he could do, not by receiving from other people, but by giving to other people. And listen to what he does. This is to the disciples, and it's said to us as well. Now, I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me, so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and be, listen, strengthened as you take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. Can I tell you something? If you were to come up to any person in here that has been serving at Believer's Church for years, some of them decades, multiple decades, you know what, you know what a lot of people assume? I'm telling you, we have CEOs, people that run businesses that are very successful. We have people that are working 70 and 80 hours a week, and somehow they prioritize serving here. And I always like to throw this little thing in there. Some of you are coaches, and you are investing your life in ways like that. You're serving people. And I would never want you to sacrifice that because you're uniquely placed somewhere. So just bring Jesus there and then bring people to church. That's an amazing place. But can I tell you something? If you were to ask the people that give their, their lives to Believer's Church, to the local church, and you would say, man, doesn't that wear you out? They would say, uh-uh, it's actually the most satisfying and fulfilling thing I do. And the thing that you think depletes me is the thing that completes me. And the thing that looks like on the outside it's taking from me is actually the thing that gives to me more than anything else because I'm strengthened as I serve. It's why when Jesus was preaching like an all day, he was at a conference, you know, speaking on the hillside and he preached like 10 back-to-back messages and, and he hadn't eaten anything. The disciples were like, Jesus, aren't you hungry? Shouldn't we take a break? And Jesus said, no, 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 I have food that you don't know about. And the disciples are like, did he sneak a Big Mac in between service one and two? I didn't, I didn't see that. And No, he, he said, my food is to finish the work that my father sent me to do. There's something about it. It feeds us. It strengthens us. And so as we kind of draw to a close, this is, I want to turn third base and round home. What is Jesus kind of saying? If we could fly up to 30,000 feet and really ask ourselves, what does Jesus mean? Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. True maturity says the meal isn't just about me. True maturity says the meal isn't just about me. And I want you to think about mom or grandma. Think about every holiday. When is the last time in 20 years you have seen them sit down and eat with the rest of the family? Doesn't happen, right? I mean, they're waking up at 4 a.m., turning on every stove, every oven, everything you can think of. They are prepping weeks in advance for this meal. And their greatest nightmare is that one person doesn't get enough food in their stomach. And if you tell them you're full, it will highly offend them. We all have these grandmas, right? Oh, but, but think about what they're saying. They've gotten to a place where they're no longer a baby and just receiving something. They're in chair three, and they're saying, this all exists for others. And I want you to think about this. They will sacrifice their preference so more people can get a good meal. 
So I bet your mom is probably like my wife or my mom. My wife loves really spicy stuff, really hot stuff, but she never prepares the meals we eat just for her. She seasons it to the liking of other people. She prepares it for the whole family because she's sacrificing her preference so more people can have a seat at the table. This is what I believe God is asking us to do. So I just wanna give you a couple of key phrases that I think will give you some idea of what I'm talking about here. And I'll give you the first one. So today we're hearing a message, right? And this is kind of what the modern church model is built off of. It's what they used to do in the Bible. They would gather together in the temple courts and hear a message. Then they'd go to their houses and they'd break into smaller groups and they'd do life together. Read it, Acts chapter two, that's what they did. But think about this. I think for most of us, if we're not careful, when we see the word message, here's what we see. Take a look at this. I think we tend to see me. And it's like, man, what is this message going to do for me? And how is it going to make me feel? How is it going to make me comfortable? Because think about this. We have to fight against our culture. Our culture packages everything to our preference. It caters and customizes everything to our convenience. And if we're not careful, we will take culture and we will apply it to how we come to church. And if it's not prepared in just the right way, if it's not our favorite topic and our favorite subject and the temperature is not set to 72.3 degrees and we don't have the, the seat that we like most, then we can miss out on the miracle right in front of us. I, here, here's another way I heard it. Can we just have some fun in church this morning? Is that all right at Believer's Church? I think some of us, this is what God told me, I don't think we're looking for a message. I think we're looking for a massage. I think, I think some of us, if we're honest, I'm telling on myself right now, I think some of us are like, God, here's where it hurts. Give me what I want. And it's like, I got a spiritual knot right there. There it is right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and if, we, if we're not careful, we can just make it all about us. And let me just, let me tell you, chair three says it's not about me. Chair three says it's not about me. So let me give you a couple practical ways that we can fight against this. Just some, some language, some culture that maybe you can grab a hold of, because I believe in it and I, I live this. And I fight against it every day. You know, the longer you've been to church, the more you have to fight against becoming a food critic. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, this is a fine wine. You know, it has to be just, just the way I like it. And I mean, can, can you just remember back to me when you first met Jesus and how amazing it was? How in awe you were of God? And you could come, and it didn't matter if it was with a banjo or a beat, you could worship God. It didn't matter if it was Bill Gaither or Hillsong United, right? Like, I just... Because when you're hungry, you're not picky. God, just give me, I will take food in any form right now. I love you that much. But over time, if we're not careful, here's what happens. We can become familiar with our faith. And this thing that used to blow us away, this concept that the God of all creation came down and lived a perfect life and died a death for us in my place, can become commonplace. And then all of a sudden we, we come into the parking lot and the person that we really thought was awesome, they cut us off and give us the finger as we're walking in, you know, and, and then somebody's sitting in my favorite seat. Can you believe that jerk sat in my favorite seat? Didn't they know my name was on that seat? And, and then the band's playing that one song again, you know, like, isn't God tired of that song by now? Anybody ever, just being honest, I'm just kidding, we never think that at BC. But, and Pastor Graham's talking about tithing, right? You know, that week, I'm having fun, but here's, here's the reality. We have to fight against this. And here's what maturity says. Maturity says, no, 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 mission over method. This is actually one of our core values. I am married to the message, but I'm not married to the method. 
Because the longer you've been in church, you're always going to see church through the lens of when you first joined it. So I'm so impressed by people that have been here for 30 years. And when, when they started, church looked the way it should have in the 80s. But aren't we thankful that over time we, we adjusted and we changed with culture so we could speak the language of the next generation? We've done that five and six times now. And let me tell you something. I'm already old enough to sometimes hear a song that our band wants to play, and I'm like, eh, I wouldn't pick that one. But there's something about it where it's like, no, no, no. I will sacrifice my preference so that more people can experience God's presence because I so believe in the mission, I'm not gonna get hung up on the method. I so believe in the food, I'm not gonna get hung up on the preparation and the presentation. As a matter of fact, I believe in it so much, I'll even be a part of serving it. And so I'll give you one example. If this is kind of a stretching idea for you, I totally get that. We've walked through that. But one of the things that Believer's Church has become known for is reaching the next generation. It's pretty cool. Uh, we have an equal representation of people that are like 18 to 30, even younger than that, as we do people 40 and up, which hardly ever happens. Many churches reach the older generation really well. Many reach the younger. Very few reach both. And so we're growing and we're learning every week, and there's all kinds of stuff we could do better. But I actually had WFMJ approach me last week. It was Danielle Cotterman. And she said, hey, you don't know me. Uh, I've just been watching BC at a distance and uh, I have some bad experiences with church. I wanted to get married, and they wouldn't let me do this, that, or the other. I'm not going to mention any of that stuff, but it was just, it was tradition, you know? And so she said, I can't help but see that at BC, even though churches all over the place are declining and not reaching young people, BC has the exact opposite happening. Would you be willing to let me do a story on why that's happening? And she said, this is the time of the year where I pitch it to my boss, and so she said, it may or may not happen, but I'm going to try my best because I, I really want to know. We had this five-minute conversation, and I gave her some info and told her I'd send her some stats. But guess what? There's something in it where people that, that all their life have not had a connection in church, when they come here, there's just so much life happening here that they're like, I want a part of that. We had a guy that just read, no perfect people allowed on our sign, our digital sign outside of BC Warren. He had never been to church, and he's like, I want to be a part of that walked into church, gave his life to Jesus, and that's the kind of stuff that happens every week, and it's gonna happen here more and more and more. And so listen, here's, here's what happens. We can get hung up on a method, and we can start to say, man, I don't like fill in the blank. That's not my style. That's not my thing. And you're entitled to your style, and I, I love it. But, but I want you to think about this. For years, hundreds of years, the pipe organ, we think of it as God's favorite instrument. The pipe organ was, was outlawed in churches for hundreds of years. Did you know that? In, in the first and second century, people thought of the pipe organ as the devil's instrument, and here's why. Because they were using it in bars, and they were using it in secular music. So people were starting to be like these revolutionaries, <laughs> bringing an organ into the church. Can you imagine? Can you believe how great rebels, you know? But listen, this same thing happened, and eventually it, it becomes commonplace. Then it was the electric guitar in the 50s. Oh, that's Elvis' instrument. You know, like, this is, this is the work of, of the devil. And, but here's what happens. We can, ele we can so elevate method that we actually miss out on presenting the message that people need to hear. And so here's what we always say. We're never going to probably fully agree on our preferences, but we believe we can reach everybody. We believe we can reach somebody in chair one that's far from God, and at the same time, we can grow a mature baby and a, a mature believer. And, and listen, Here's what it ultimately comes down to. Moms, when they sacrifice their preference, here's how they're still getting fed. They're self-feeders. 
because a baby needs somebody to feed them. But let me challenge you with this idea. If you only eat one meal a week in the natural, you will not grow. You will be depleted. But how many Christians only eat one meal a week spiritually? And it's just at Sunday. And if I don't come to Sunday, I'm not going to have a relationship with God. Here's what maturity says. No, no, no. doesn't matter the method. The message is what I'm here for. I can eat food in any form because I so love God and I'm so bought into the mission of the church. So here's, here's uh, where we'll end here. It just came to me this way. Babies wear bibs, but adults wear aprons. Babies wear bibs, adults wear aprons. Listen to this, 1 Peter 5, 5. And all of you must put on the apron of humility to serve one another. We gotta get to the place where it's like, hey, I'm no longer just sitting and just receiving, but God gave me something unique that I can bring to the world. I've got something inside of me, and people, this world will never be the same if I don't give it and I don't bring it to the people who need it the most. Here's the third and final one. Maturity means I multiply. Maturity means I multiply. I want you to think in terms of, of a person. What is the defining characteristic of a human being reaching peak maturity? It's the ability to reproduce. That's when we start saying they're mature, right? And so this is exactly how God feels. Now, he did this in the Old Testament. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And he meant it literally. Then in the New Testament, here's what he says. I'm giving you a mission and a mandate to multiply. It's called the Great Commission. And your goal is to go into all the world and tell people everywhere about me. It's a mission to multiply. And so I want to just talk for a second as we close about what, what would that look like in our lives? Like, how do I multiply? If I could boil it down to one thing, here's what I believe. It's making room. Yeah, think about this. If you ever watch TLC, which I'm kind of like a closet fan of, I kind of enjoy the programming they put out there. Every now and then they'll have like, you know, woman has 10 children at once, you know, whatever you'd call that. And, and the dad's like, I don't know what we're going to do here. <laughs> They've got to like truck in diapers and, you know, it's the, they have shifts of all the people that are volunteering to help them rock the babies to sleep and stuff. You know what they do in every case? It's never perfect. It's always a little bit chaotic. But in every case, they start preparing ahead of time. They start making room to multiply. And if they didn't have enough seats or if they didn't have enough spoons or if they didn't have enough high chairs or rooms or cribs, everything, they're preparing it ahead of time because they know that there are gonna be babies here soon. Listen, this is where we are at Believer's Church. This is what we're doing. We're making room and preparing to multiply. Let me tell you something. This church, BC Boardman, is the smallest it's ever gonna be. And if we just come here and we're just wanting to kind of keep our own holy huddle, us for no more, then we're gonna miss out on these hurting people that are all around us. So I wanna just end by telling you a story. You know, there's this pastor. His name is Judd Wilhite, and uh, he pastors in Las Vegas. Can you imagine that? It's this church called Central Christian Church, and he is someone who has been now, I think, 25 years clean and sober. He was addicted completely to drugs and alcohol and um, started this church, and one day he woke up and realized, God pointed out like, hey, you're in the addiction capital of the world and you don't have a recovery ministry. And he's like, oh yeah, we should do that. You know, so they started Celebrate Recovery. And you know, one of the, the big epidemics in Las Vegas is there's homelessness everywhere. So there's this guy named Cody. And Cody was at one time a very successful businessman. He made a lot of money, had a great family, great house. But Cody uh, got addicted to, to painkillers, prescription drugs and started getting into some heavier stuff. And 
started to eventually drive a wedge in between him and his family, and eventually he loses his wife and his daughter, burns through $700,000 of savings, can you imagine, on his habit. And he's at the end of his rope, and he's got this home that he's now selling off. He's losing his home, and he's selling off all of his goods, pennies on the dollar, standing there on his lawn, about to lose everything, and decides, I'm going to just move to Las Vegas and become homeless. So he doesn't have any relationship with his ex-wife or his daughter, moves to a different state entirely. And he moves in to this homeless community that is right next door in this field, next door to Central Christian Church. And so Cody, this is what he says. He says, I stunk so bad that homeless people didn't want to be around me. That's how you know you stink, right? And he said, there was like this perimeter around me everywhere I went. Nobody wanted to get near me. He hadn't showered in months. You know what he hears? He hears that there is a church right across the street that will give you a warm shower and a hot meal. And so he has no interest in coming and hanging out at this church or hearing anything that they have to say, but he decides to go this one morning. Now, Pastor Judd, he starts telling his people, hey, we can't fix the world's problems and we probably can't change everything that's wrong with this city, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to find people at the point of their pain and I want you to bring hope to them. That's all you have to do. You don't even have to have all the answers. Just show them God's love in a practical way. So Cody, imagine this, comes in, he smells to high heaven, and there's this greeter, and her name is Michelle, and she's at the front door, Michelle sees Cody, and she hears the words of Pastor Judd ringing in her, in her ears and in her heart, and, and she decides, I'm going to give him a hug, and so she asks his permission, she says, you look like you need a hug, and Cody says, you don't want to hug me, I stink, and like any good greeter, Michelle just plowed right through and planted a big hug on him. And, and in this moment, she whispers in his ear, she says, Jesus loves you. She doesn't even know really why she said it. You know, it's true, but it's kind of not the first thing you'd say to somebody. And Cody didn't let on in that moment, but there was something that for sure started to break through that hard exterior. And I'd be lying if I told you that he gave his life to Jesus that day, but he started coming back. He's come for a shower and breakfast every Sunday morning. One Sunday, he's like, I guess I'll try it out. It's probably gonna be awful. I probably hate it, but I'm gonna go in the service. God just starts breaking through the exterior a little bit more. Finally, one day, Cody gives his life to Jesus. And that's not the end of the story. Cody starts getting his life together so much, he becomes a pastor. He goes back to that homeless community, and he is now a pastor to the homeless people that he used to live among. That's not even where it ends. Judd is so blown away by this that he writes a book, and Cody is a chapter in the book. And it's crazy, but his daughter, who he hasn't seen in years, remember this, not seen in years, she reads this book miraculously. She doesn't even know the name of this guy, but she's like, this has to be my dad. Sounds just like my dad. So she reaches out to Pastor Judd. They find out it's true. They reconnect. To this day, they have an amazing relationship. God has restored all of the things that were lost, in God's life, God has changed Cody's life. It's been turned completely upside down. And here's all that happened. This one person found Cody at the point of his pain and brought hope, loved him enough. It's the final scripture. It's Luke 14, 23. Remember, this is about a guy who invites people to a wedding. They're RSVPing. And all the people that should be there, the people that their status said they belonged, they said can't make it. So, so the master says, go out 
to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And you know what the Bible actually says? He says, go find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, all the people that were least qualified to be there. I just want to ask you, are you ready to do that same thing? The master told a servant, go out. Are you ready to go out of your comfort zone, maybe? Maybe to go out of your front door over to the neighbor's house, maybe just out of your cubicle? Are you ready to go out and bring people to the only hope that we know can change their life? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just believe that God is doing something incredible in and through this moment, and I think there are some dreams that are coming alive on the inside of you. Thank you for letting me go a couple minutes longer today. We just felt like it was valuable for you to hear our mission and see where we're going. Listen, speaking of mission and method, Pastor Graham's gonna get up here and close the service down and tell you that we're about to lose like two-thirds of our building for five months or so so we can make room for more people to multiply. It's gonna be beautiful and it's gonna be an awesome end product, but what it probably means in the meantime is, hey, I will take food in any form. I'm so excited about the message. It doesn't matter what method. And if God's just stirring something in your heart and you're like, I'm ready to jump in, hey, it's as simple as going to guest services and signing up for our next environment and just saying, hey, I wanna hear how I can be a part of what God's doing. And if you're so busy or if you have what I said, that situation where you're just kind of all over the place, make it your mission just to invite people. Bring them. You guys are so good at that already. I can't wait to see what God does. So listen, if you're here and you're kind of saying like, Joe, this sounds amazing, but I can't remember a moment where I gave Jesus control of my life. Maybe I've come to church here and there. Maybe I've even been baptized. I'd say overall I'm a good person, but I can't remember a moment when I, when I said, Jesus, you sit in the driver's seat. You take control of my life. I call you Lord. Then that's, that's everything. So I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer. So many of us have already prayed that. I believe a miracle will take place your eternal destination will be changed to a place called heaven. But here's the coolest part. Heaven wants to come to your here and now, and God wants to help you in everyday life. So pray this with me. Church, help me repeat this after me. Say, dear God, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you that just like Cody, you found me at the point of my pain, and you loved me enough to give me everything. So I give you my life in return. And I won't be perfect, but every day I'll take a step. I am a Christian. I'll follow you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.